We're going to conclude our, our fail series, basically, today. Uh, if you haven't been here or you, uh, this is your first time, uh, we've been kind of going through some things. Uh, the title of our message is, uh, But What If I Fail? We're in week four. We've talked about David a couple of times and his, his great victory, but also some of his great failures. We talked about Peter last week and obviously one of his great failures and how God can come and reinstate and make a difference in our lives. And today we're going to talk about another major Bible character. Uh, We're going to talk about Moses. And so we're going to first look, and I want to kind of give you a little background of where we're going to be about the life of Moses. Uh, Some of you know this, maybe some of you don't, but Moses was was really born under a death sentence. Uh, Back in Genesis, basically the Hebrews end up in Egypt. That's a long story. We're not going to get into it this morning, but they're there and they begin to multiply. And Pharaoh becomes very concerned that they are getting too many and too plentiful. So he decides to basically begin to kill all the baby boys. Uh, His mother uh, basically wants to save him, so she hides him for a little while until she can't hide him anymore. Then she builds a basket, puts Moses in the basket, and floats Moses down the river with his sister watching from behind. The baby floats down the Nile, and and basically uh, Pharaoh's daughters come down to bathe, and she finds this little baby. And she adopts him, names him Moses, and in a really cool thing, basically, here comes his sister out and says, hey, uh, you found this baby, you need a a, a lady to to nurse him. And she says, yeah, yeah. So she takes Moses back to his mom, and basically she gets to nurse him for a while and take care of him, and then he goes and lives in the palace and lives uh, as an adopted son of Pharaoh. And basically he, he grows and, and grows up and begins to learn all these things and, and understand all these things. And, and basically that's kind of where we're at in our story. We're going to jump right into basically the mistakes of Moses uh, and kind of look at some of the things that he did. So the mistakes of Moses, starting with Exodus 2, with verse number 11 and 15, it says this. So this is after Moses has grown up now. It says, many years later, When Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. Now, here's the situation. Uh, After that has all happened and the the Hebrews have gotten more and more and more, Pharaoh enslaves them and basically they're working for him. So he goes and he sees all this. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. It says, the next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said uh, to the one who was started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And then on with verse 50, it says, then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So in this story, we see a very interesting thing. We see some mistakes that Moses begins to make. We see some things that we we need to look at. So we're going to kind of look at this together really quickly and then kind of get into some other things that that Moses did. Because I don't want to focus necessarily on his mistakes. I want to focus on some other things that that God would help us to want us to see today. So first of all, I want you to understand this. Moses, at first his mistake was Moses looked both ways. I, I love this in the story. I love how the Bible will give us these little tidbits, these little 
moments where we're like, oh, I didn't see that before. Oh, that's cool. But Moses looked both ways. Why did Moses look both ways? I remember thinking as a kid when I heard this story, or I remember seeing um, uh, you know, movies and, and things about it or cartoons about it as a kid, that, that Moses was this guy and he was just kind of walking around. He's got his chariot and he's, got his, he's all dressed like an like a Egyptian and all this sort of stuff. And, and basically he sees this. There's this moment of passion and anger and he basically just jumps and he starts beginning to do this. And all of a sudden at the end he goes, oh, I can't believe I did this. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that Moses kind of comes out and he looks both ways. What's Moses doing? Moses knows exactly what he is doing. He knows he's about ready to do something he shouldn't do. Why? Because he's making sure nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. So he's, this isn't a moment necessarily of passion and anger. This is a moment that's calculated. This is a moment where he's sitting there going, aha. So he looks around. Nobody's watching. Hey, can I, can I help you with something? Okay, And this, this helps me as an adult. It helps my son who's five years old. And it helps everybody in between and everybody over and under. Okay, If there's something you're doing that you have to look and make sure no one is watching, you probably shouldn't do it. I go to my five-year-old son. I say, Easton, listen, what have you been doing? You know, you ever had that moment with your kids where they know they're doing something they probably shouldn't be doing, and you kind of walk in on them, and you're kind of like, hey, Easton, what are you doing? He's like, oh, nothing. You're like looking around, there's Legos everywhere, you know, paint on the wall. No, no, he hasn't done that. But, you know, what are you doing? Nothing. Looked both ways. Moses knew this was not going to be something probably he should have done. Next, he obviously murders the Egyptian. He doesn't say stop. He doesn't say, hey, hey, guy, hey, why don't you not do that? He murders him. Kills him with his bare hands. Takes him out. Kills him. Next, he hides the body. Now, this has always been interesting to me. Because the Bible says he hides the body in the sand. Okay? And this is one of those moments like we read it and we kind of go on. Think about that for a second. How does Moses hide the body in sand? He, does Moses carry around a shovel with him just in case he has one of these moments? So what's Moses doing? Think about it. Picture this. Moses has done this. Now he's going, oh, this is not good. Why? Because he's trying to hide the evidence. So I can just see Moses... Pharaoh's adopted son on his hands and knees, just digging in the dirt, trying to get the sand away. Listen, have you ever dug in sand before? What eventually happens? You get harder packed down sand. So this body can't be buried very deep. So he's digging stuff away and moving it away, trying to get, you know, dragging the guy and throwing him in the thing and throwing the sand back over. You know, it's probably a foot hanging out or something like that. You know, listen, hear, hear me on this. A lot of times we do this as people. We mess up, we sin, we do something we shouldn't do, and so we decide that we're going to do something, we're going to hide the body. And really, when we try to hide our mess-ups and our sin from God, it's like trying to bury a body in sand with your bare hands. It's just not real effective. Things are going to come out. The wind is going to blow eventually, and that body is going to get exposed. But Moses thinks he can hide it. Moses thinks, oh, I know I've done this thing I shouldn't do. I know I've messed up now. So he tries to hide the body. And the final thing he does is he runs away. 
Now you go, now, now Aaron, that makes sense that he would run away. But we're going to talk about something in just a second that may show that that may have not been the right response. But he runs away. Pharaoh finds out, he gets upset, and he runs away. He runs away. This is interesting because in Acts chapter 7, we see some interesting things. Now, in this situation... Basically, Stephen is having a conversation with some guys in Acts, and he brings up Moses. And this, we learn a little bit more about the story here from Stephen in Acts. And it says this, One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to, visit, decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Now, why do I bring this up? Because after all these mistakes, as I was looking at this and studying this, I found something interesting. Because it's kind of one of those things where where I like when I read the Bible because the Bible is alive. I can see things that I never, never saw before. I'm very familiar with this story. And maybe you're like me where I thought Moses had this great plan. So so this all happens, and Moses leaves, and he runs off to this this other area, and he becomes a shepherd, okay? And I've always looked at that as, oh, great, this is God's time, where God's going to train Moses up, and he's going to become the leader of all these sort of things. I don't think that's what happens here. I don't see that in Scripture. What I'm seeing is something a little bit different. And Stephen here begins to, kind of, begins to kind of show some of these things. I think that God was wanting to do something a little bit different. Josephus, who is an ancient Hebrew historian, wrote that he believed that basically Moses was the heir to the throne of Egypt. He believes and wrote that he had led armies in victorious battles against the Ethiopians as a younger man. Now, go with me for a second. What if God's original plan for Moses was to be saved, to be moved into the house of Pharaoh, and eventually let his people go because he had become Pharaoh? You think that's far-fetched? He did something somewhat similar with another man named Joseph. What if, what if the problem here is not a situation where God basically messed up, but Moses messed up. And Moses was supposed to follow this path and he didn't. He blew it. He messed up. He he did something he shouldn't have done. It says here, it's very interesting in 25, it says Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would recognize that God had had sent him to rescue them. So what if Moses here is making these assumptions of, of hey, hey, I see my, my, my Hebrews that are, being, that are being mistreated. I'm going to step up. I'm going to step in. I'm going to take the, the reins here. And I'm going to go. And I'm going to begin to do this. And basically, he wasn't supposed to. The timing wasn't right. The moment wasn't right. Maybe God's original plan was, listen, you just stay where you are. You're faithful in where I put you. And I will move you into a position where now you'll be able to let my people go. But he doesn't. He makes an assumption about God's plan. You know, here's the thing. The biggest mistake that really Moses makes is Moses trusts his timing and plans over the timing and the plans of God. You ever done that before? 
You have this thought like, oh, oh, listen, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, or God wants me to do this, or God wants me to do this. Listen, you've got to understand this. Hear me on this. Timing is so important. It's not just knowing what God wants us to do. It's when God wants us to do it that is just as important. You see, I always had this thought, well, Moses ran away so that God could use him and train him and do all these things. I don't know if God ever desired for Moses to run away. Now, here's what's beautiful. Listen, this is important. God, even in our mess-ups, still uses Moses, still helps Moses, still his people still get released and still make it to the promised land. But you know what? Reading the stories afterwards, boy, it sure would have been easier God's way. It sure would have been easier God's way. And so we have to understand that. The biggest really mistake that Moses makes is not burying the body, it's not killing, it's basically he trusts himself and his timing over God's. Now, so what happens? Moses goes out, oops, he goes out into the desert. Actually, some really interesting things happen. He meets his wife. He becomes a shepherd. And basically in three, we're we're going to kind of talk real briefly about this. But in chapter three, Moses is out tending his flocks and he sees a, a bush that is on fire that is not actually being consumed. So, of course, as anybody would, he goes and wants to investigate what is this all about, goes over to it, and basically God begins to speak to him from that burning bush and begins to charge him with a a task and a goal. He begins to say, hey, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to go back to Pharaoh. I want you to to stand before him, and I want you to to, to help my people become free. I've heard their cries. I've heard the things that they're dealing with, and I want to free them, and I want to use you, Moses to do that. It's a really awesome moment. And then Moses begins to have an issue. And Moses begins to give all the excuses of why he can't. Why he can't. So right now, we're going to talk about the four excuses that Moses gives God. The four excuses of why I can't. Okay? The first one he gives. And these are going to be ones that we've used probably in our own lives. Number one, I am not good enough. I'm not good enough. Look at Exodus 3, 11 through 12. It says this. It says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, here's the thing. In these scriptures, and that's good that you went there. Just hold off there for just a second. You can keep it there. But we're going to see God's, uh, God's. we're going to see Moses' excuse or his protest and God's response. So here's Moses. He goes, listen, I'm not good enough. Who am I to do this? I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not that guy. And it's very interesting here, the way that Moses is looking at himself. Okay? And he says, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not talented enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. God has asked him to do something outstandingly big and huge and amazing. And he's, his response is, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. And look what God answers. God answers this in verse number 12. He says, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Listen, here's the, here's, the, here's the funny thing about what Moses states in this excuse. Moses is exactly right. He's not good enough. In his own strength, in his own knowledge, in his own understanding, in his own wisdom, he isn't good enough. 
That's right. But look how God responds to him and to us when we have that that comment. He says, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to gird you up in strength and knowledge and ability. I've got you. And not only that, but God's like, he gives him a prophecy. He says, not only that, I'll show you because you're coming back here one day and you're going to worship me on this very mountain. So God just says, I'm with you, man. I'm not going to go anywhere. That prophecy is so important, not just because it gives him an understanding of where he's going, but it shows that God is going to be with him through the entire process. God's not going to leave him. God's not going to forsake him. God's going to say, listen, man, you're right. You can't do this without me, but I'm not going to leave you. So that's what Moses starts, man. I'm not good enough. Next, he says, I have no authority. I have no authority. Look at Exodus 3, 13. He says, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Now, here's what's interesting about this. Moses has a really good memory, obviously. Because he's remembered before he tried this. Remember, before he thought, hey man, I can go and I'm going to rescue my people. And he thought that was going to happen. And so he goes and he kills the person. Well, he shows up the next day with this expectation that the people are going to be like, there's our man. There's our hero. There's the guy that did all this stuff. And instead, their response is, man, who are you? You're not a prince over us. I mean, you're not in charge of us. I remember when I was a kid, you know, you ever have, you know, three or four year olds and you start doing something. You're not the boss of me. You're not my dad. You're not my mom. You're not my teacher. I'm not, that's kind of what they do. They're like, I don't know you. You're not my boss. And Moses has remembered that. Moses is sitting there going, man, I remember that. I don't have any authority. Basically, they're not going to listen to me. What do I say? And God responds like this. This is God responds to Moses. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Mm. What a statement. God's like, seriously, man, I am. You concerned? I am. You, you, I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the strong one. I am the warrior. I am mighty. I am. I can just... I, just, I mean, you just, you just almost feel like the, the, the mountains trembling at God. God here is basically saying, listen, I am all the authority you need because I have all authority over everything. I am. What is so beautiful about this, listen to me, hear me. If God has asked you to do something, if God said, man, this is your mission, this is your goal, I am has the authority to make it happen. I am is with you. I am will walk with you and talk with you and help you. Your authority is not based on your wisdom or your understanding. The authority comes from God. The authority comes from the I am of the universe. He said, I got you, man. Your authority comes from me because Moses has remembered, but, but don't you remember what happened? I don't have any credibility. I don't have, a, I have zero credibility. They're not going to listen to me. And it's like God says, oh, they'll listen because of me. Working through you. So next, next, new excuse. Well, but, 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 but they won't believe me. 
They won't believe me is the next excuse. Look at Exodus 4. It says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord has never appeared to you? Now, this is important. Okay? Because we're seeing something interesting here that we talked about way back in week one. And, and this usually, this type of, of comment usually comes from people who don't feel equipped to do the job that God has called them to do. And we go back to David. You remember David way back three weeks ago? And David's sitting there and he's getting ready to fight Goliath. And so Saul says, okay, dude, it's great. You can do this. And basically he tries to put David in his own armor and David can't even move. And so what's he do? He takes him off and he goes to the battle with his sling and his stick. This is important, guys. You need to catch this because God didn't waste ink or Bible stuff to repeat himself unless he was trying to get us to see something. Because what we're seeing here is kind of the same kind of expression that God explains to David and now, or first to Moses and then to David. This is what he says. Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? What's in Moses' hand? Oh, this little thing called a staff. You know, the thing that he would have, not as a ruler of Egypt, but as a shepherd. That's what's in his hand. God tells him, throw it on the ground. Becomes a snake. This is the same staff that he takes, he puts in the Nile, and the Nile turns to blood. It's the same staff that he throws down in front of Pharaoh. And even though Pharaoh's magicians can make their staffs turn into snakes, which I think is an interesting story, his staff takes those snakes out. Can you imagine? I've always like... I'm sorry, I'm weird, but I've always had this picture like, here's these magicians and and Pharaoh's court, and they're like walking home without a staff, and somebody's like, hey dude, where's your staff? He's like, a snake ate it. (laughs) That's awesome. A snake ate it. Oh, oh, okay, well, have a good night, you know. The same staff. That same amazing tool that God had already placed. Listen, you've got to understand this. God is trying to help us to see this in a very clear way. God has given you all that you need to accomplish the plan and the mission and the goal that he set out for you. You don't need Saul's armor. You don't need anything else. God has got it. He's placed it already inside you. Now, does he want to train it? Does he want to make it better? Absolutely. But it's there. You don't have to say, listen, I'm not equipped. You don't have to say, I can't do it. You can say, no, 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 no. I can do it because he's equipped me. He's given me what I need to use to accomplish what he wants me to accomplish. And the final thing, which I think is funny to me, is I don't speak well. Look at Exodus 4. 10 through 12. It says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I have never been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Okay? Now, God responds to this and we're going to check out something back in Acts in just a second. But Moses has said this to God. Listen, I, I can't talk. I, I'm having a hard time here. And so basically in, in, chapter, in verse number 11... God responds. He says, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? He basically is like, listen, listen, seriously, dude. Don't you understand who gives you that ability? 
Don't you understand the things that you have? It's like God here is once again helping us understand this. And he says, now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Now, what's interesting about all of this is if you go back to Acts 7.22, Stephen says something interesting. And this kind of goes along with, with what we heard about what Josephus and, and some of the things that Moses possibly had done before uh, he messed up. But it also is interesting because Josephus says this, Moses was taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Now, wait a minute. Moses has just told God, I can't talk. And Stephen's response is, oh, no, dude, he can talk fine. You know what I've learned? This is Moses' last excuse. He's given three, and then this is number four. I don't know about you, and I've done this so many times, and, and, and God has graciously you know, forgiven me and helped me. But it's like, I keep giving excuses. God keeps getting reasons why I should obey what he's asking. And finally, in the last one, I'm like making stuff up. I'm making stuff up. I can see Moses like, oh, I got, I, 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 oh, I just stuttered. I don't speak well. God's like, seriously? Seriously? Now, after all of this, all of these things happen, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. And so really, we've got to look at something a little deeper. So number three, what was the real struggle in the heart of Moses? What is really, really going on here as we pull it all away? Because in in, in Exodus 4.13, after all the excuses, after, (laughs) seriously, think about the life of Moses really quickly. He's born under a death sentence. Any boy his age has probably been killed. He's placed in a wicker basket, floated down a river filled with crocodiles. Somehow he doesn't die or sink, and he just happens to fall into the hands of the daughter of Pharaoh. He's raised, learns, grows, messes up, yes, but he's even able to escape. And then he's in front of a a bush that is burning, but not burning up, and God is literally speaking to him from it. And he still hasn't gotten it. I mean, you would think at some point Moses would think something similar to this. Maybe God has a plan for my life. After all of this, after all the excuses, after God has knocked out every excuse out of the park, he responds in 13. But Moses again pleads, Lord, please send anyone else. What's going on? Look, I mean, if you ever come to me for counseling, and if you need to, that's great. But one thing you're going to have to understand is is I do not put Band-Aids on bullet wounds. Okay? Does that make sense? We figure out what the bullet is. Because it's not just about figuring out why you're coughing. I want to know what the disease is. God wants to heal the disease, not just the symptom. So what is going on? What is really going on in the heart of Moses? And as we conclude this series, as we tie a nice little bow on it, it's like as I was putting all of these things together, 
It was like I was thinking, maybe this is why we did this whole thing. And I understand that, and I hope and I pray that there's been other moments where God has spoken to you and healed you and helped you. But it was like, I wonder if this really all brings it all together. And it's quite simply this. It's in your notes. If you want to circle it, highlight it, do something, just get this. Moses' real struggle was with his identity. Moses looked into the mirror and he saw a failure. But God saw Something different. Why? Why couldn't he get it? I'll tell you why. Because Moses, when he looked at himself, all he could see was a failure. I messed up. I'm a murderer. I ran away. I got things out of order. David, I, 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 I was a murderer. I was an adulterer. I, I, I lied. I killed. I Moses, Peter, Peter, oh, God, I denied you three times. I told you I wouldn't. I told you I'd always be there for you, and I didn't. I ran away. Moses looked at himself, and all he could see was a failure. All he could see was all the stuff that he had done. He had messed up. He had hurt people. He had destroyed relationships. All these guys. You know what was so interesting to me is there's so many people that God uses in the Bible that are just totally flawed, broken people. And Moses is there. Moses is at that moment where he's like, I just can't do it. Why? Because Moses looked and he saw himself through, through the lens of his mess-ups and his failures. And he refused to look at himself the way God saw him. Folks, one of the things that we've got to understand and learn, and it is hard, it is difficult, but we have got to be able to see ourselves the way God sees us. Because what the enemy loves to do, man, loves to do is he loves to take you and put you in front of a mirror and begin to whisper in your ear all your mess-ups, all your screw-ups, all the people you've hurt, all the people you've done things to, all the things you've done, all the bad, oh, you just, it's just like a ringing in your head. You're a failure. You're, you, you hurt people. You're a murderer. You're an adulterer. You've had an abortion. You've done this. You've done that. Whatever it might be. And you've looked at your life and you've gone, God, are you sure you got the right number? It's like Moses just looked at him and goes, are you sure, God, that you want me? And God says, I want you. I want you. And here's the thing you got to understand that we need to understand. Moses is not special in this. Moses is not the outlier in this. Because we've all failed. We've all done things. I mean, here's the thing. If you're like me and you probably are in this, man, I am so much more attuned and attached to my failures than my successes. You come to me. Let's just be, I'll just be honest, okay? You come to me and say, Aaron, that was awesome. I'll, it, 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 listen, I, I, I appreciate it, but I'm just going to be transparent. It usually goes whoop, whoop. But if you come to me and say, but that wasn't very good. I will remember the time, the date, what you were wearing. <laughs> I don't say that to, to scare you. I just, I just want you to understand who I am. Like, I grab a hold of that. My mistakes, 
When, I'm a, when I do something that hurts my son or hurts my wife or I say something out of anger or frustration, I'm so much more attuned to that. I can tell you this week when I said something to Easton because I was frustrated and I didn't say it in a way that I should have. And the enemy comes and he goes, you want to lead a church? You, you, you can't even be kind to your own son. What's wrong with you? And you just sit there and you just, you begin to cower in that failure and in that hurt. You know, I'll just be honest with you. I, I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And sometimes the kids that I dealt with that had the hardest time accepting God's grace were those that grew up in the church. Because they would look at me in tears in their eyes when they had screwed up and they'd messed up. And they'd say, Aaron, but I should have known better. And they can't get past it. I know kids right now that are still living a life that they shouldn't because they just felt like I've messed up too much. I'm too much of a failure. And that, trust me and hear me, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because God doesn't see you through your failure. God doesn't see you through your mess-ups. God doesn't look at you and go, boy, I can't use that. Look at who he uses. Look, we've talked today over the last three weeks. You think that I picked these people because I just pulled them out of a hat? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's one of the most unbelievable, godly men that has ever walked the planet. David was called a man after God's own heart. He was the best king Israel ever had. He wrote most of the Psalms for crying out loud. Peter was the, the star of the church. He did some amazing things. He spoke the first sermon that's ever, and 3,000 people came to know Jesus. He wrote books of the Bible. These guys are the heavyweights of the Christian faith, and they're all nothing more than failures without Jesus. They're murderers, they're deniers, they're quitters, they're runners. You know what they are? They're us. They're me. And yet God, with his unbelievable plan and unbelievable help, uses them. You see, Moses saw a failure and a murderer, but God saw a leader. God saw a man after his own heart. God saw a man that could lead his people. Let me ask you a simple question. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see the mess ups? Do you see the hurts? Maybe you're like me. I see the ones that I have hurt. I see the mistakes and the, the, the devastation that can sometimes come from those things. And it is so hard at times to see God, to see myself how God sees me. But listen to me and hear me. If you are going to accomplish all that God has for you to the extent and the greatness that God wants to accomplish in you, you're going to have to make a choice you're going to have to decide that you are going to allow yourself to focus in on how God sees you, not how you sometimes see yourself. Is that easy? Nope, it isn't. It's hard. It is a daily, daily, sometimes for me, hourly thing. 
I can't tell you how many times after a Sunday I've walked out of these doors and before I hit the street, I've gone, man, I blew that. Man, I, I, I didn't. I wonder if this person really understood what I said. I, I hope they're not mad at me. Isn't that? I see all my mess ups. Sometimes you feel like God's looking at me and looking at you and going, seriously? Do you really understand what I did through you this morning? And you're worried that maybe you stumbled over a word? You see, that's the difference between what our focus on ourselves and our focus on others and letting God do that in us. If the worship team wants to come back up, we're going to close. But this whole series has been about failure and it's been about God taking our failure, even in the midst of our failure, and using us to do amazing things. Using us to accomplish the plans that he has for you. Now, I want, just, I want us to talk here, okay? Because I truly believe this, and we need to understand. I believe very, very, very strongly that God has placed in the heart and the lives of people that are here some very special visions and dreams and plans. And, and for some of you, man, this, this came like yesterday, and for some of you, this was 50 years ago. And God birthed something in you. And God began to speak through you and say, hey, listen, I want you to do this. I've, I've got this for you. This is, this is how, you know, listen, I love this about God. We are, we are unique and we are special. And God has created us in a special way to accomplish the special plan that he has for you and me. Okay, you can't be me and I can't be you. Okay, don't look at my talents and I shouldn't look at yours and go, oh, but, but God, if I could just play the guitar like John, well then, oh, boy, then, if I could just do this or do that, if I just, no, 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 no. See, 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 remember, what's in your hand? God's already prepared you and God is already preparing you. But you've let your failures and you've let your mess ups convince yourself that God is not interested in using you anymore. And that's a lie. You sat there and you've looked at the mirror. Some of you literally, some of you literally physically do this. You get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you just see nothing but a failure. You say, God, how could you love this? How? And God looks at you and he, he wants to say, you just don't see yourself the way I see you. You see, one of the great moments, one of the great things about Jesus' death and resurrection is, is now God sees us through a lens that's different. He sees us as righteous because of what Jesus has done. Once again, it's nothing we can do, but it's what Jesus is doing through us. And so God doesn't look at you and see all the mess-ups. Instead, he kind of takes those glasses, if this makes sense, and he puts on those glasses that he sees us through because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he says, I see righteousness. I see a leader. I see, I see someone who has the ability to, to, to love children and to teach them about me. I see, I see a man of integrity. I see a woman of integrity. I see, a, I see an individual that, that, can, that can move mountains in my name. And unfortunately, we just sit there and go, 
Yeah, but God, I messed up yesterday. Look, failure's hard to deal with. But I'll tell you this. Moses, David, and Peter would have never accomplished the amazing plans that God had for them if they lived and made their home in their failure. And some of you have done that. You have made your address at that failure spot. That's where you live. Everything goes back to that. I, I, would, I could come to you and say, hey, hey, listen, man, we, we, we really need this. Can you help us here? And, and you say, oh, well, you know, I, well, I, I wish I could, uh, but I can't because, well, things are busy at work. Or You know what? Things maybe not be so busy at work, but the problem is you live in that failure and you just don't want to fail again. You live in that hurt and you don't want to do it again because you can't get past it because all you see is failure. Listen, I, I haven't lied to you and I'm not going to lie to you now. Through Jesus, God does not see a failure in you. You've got to get that out of your noggin. Is it hard? Yeah, it's really, really hard. But I truly believe throughout all of this last month, what God wants to do more than anything is take people that feel like they failed and help them see that they are victorious through Christ. And so, Father, we come to you right now. And God, we need you. God, because every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us has hurt people. Every single one of us. Some of us have hurt some people real bad. I know I have. Through my words or through my actions or... And Father, I know that the enemy loves to come and begin to speak death and curses and failure over our lives. He loves to come and go, yeah, yeah, but, but you know what you did. God can't use that. God won't use that. You're nothing more than a failure. And Father, there have been people that have been in bondage for a real long time. And God, right now, I just pray for freedom. God, I pray that you would come and you would begin to destroy those thoughts. That Father, you would come and you would speak life and hope and peace into those situations. Because here's the thing. Maybe, God, maybe it was right. Maybe, maybe Moses was to be Pharaoh. Maybe that was the grand plan and he screwed it up. But God, you're so big and you're so strong and you're so mighty that even in our mess ups, your will will be accomplished if we will go and trust. And the beautiful thing, God, is how does this story end? Moses goes. Moses goes and he leads the people. David goes and he comforts Bathsheba and Solomon is born. Peter goes and the church is established. Father, those are the types of things that you want to do through us today, right now. If we'll let you. 
But Father, it begins, it starts with us saying, you know what? I won't see myself in the past anymore. I won't see myself and view myself through my failures and through the things I've done. Instead, I will see how God sees me. And God, you love me. God, you call me beloved. God, you are, you call me a precious jewel. God, you see a leader and and a person of great integrity. You see someone that's generous of his time and his treasures and and his efforts. Father, you see all those things. And today, with your help, God, I am choosing to believe you over myself. Because you know better. And there is no lies in you. So Jesus, right now, we grip a hold of how you see us. We grip a hold of those things. We put the things of the past in the past. They're gone. They're forgiven and they're gone. And now, Father, we take our staff, we take our sling, and we begin to walk out to the battlefield and go, okay, I know I've messed up in the past. I know I may mess up in the future. But God, you are with me. You are helping me. And I will be victorious because of you. Father, that's what we need. So help us.